You're listening to the Go Adventure Mom podcast. This is episode 21. Thanks for being here. This episode is brought to you by the 365 Mile Challenge, seven miles in seven days. You guys, this is a free challenge that is open to everyone, but you need to register. So head on over to the 365milechallenge.org to get registered. Welcome to the Go Adventure Mom podcast, where having kids only adds to the adventure. Get outdoors, see the world, live a full life. Go Adventure Mom, for families who refuse to be indoorsy people. Now, let's go adventure with Kathy Dalton. Hello, welcome everyone. This is Kathy Dalton. I'm coming to you from a very beautiful day in Salt Lake City. I'm really excited for today's guest. His name is Adam, and he's with the Marine Mammal Center in California. He has been doing some really great things over there as the guest experience manager. So he oversees all of the programs at the center by working with like different education programs. They've got this fun thing called Seals and Slippers. It's a sleepover that they do at the Marine Mammal Center. And he also works with the Ocean Ambassadors. So these are school classrooms that are coming over to the center or sometimes the the center they call it sea to school where the center is actually going out there to them and adam has a background in biology and is really the one that's heading up great things over with their education program and he has just been selected as the north american it's n-a-a-e-e as one of their 30 under 30 and he's working with the environmental education field, and he's been handpicked to partner with the Fish and the Forest Service and all these big game changers in the environmental education world. So really excited to learn from him today. As always, you can find the show notes at Go Adventure Mom Forward Podcast, and we'll be sure to have links to the Marine Mammal Center. There's a couple of articles and videos that we'll have included in there from when I went to the Marine Mammal Center about two years ago, and we'll make sure that those are there as well as the hotline if you do see an endangered marine mammal and what you can do. Now, before we dive into all things marine mammal, will you share with our listeners, number one, where you're located right now, and number two, where your favorite places to go and adventure. I am at the Marine Mammal Center in Sausalito, California, so right near the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. And I would say I love all things involving the ocean. As a very young age, I was out in the water, realized there's a whole world just right beneath those waves. So anytime I can get out there, see all the life that's right under the surface, that's a great day for me. That sounds fantastic. So did you grow up in California? I didn't. I'm actually from the East Coast originally. So I grew up in Washington, D.C., went to school and got my undergraduate up in Maine, realized that was a bit too cold for my liking. And uh, I've been out in California for close to nine years at this point since. Oh, fantastic. Okay. So East Coast, West Coast, is the ocean pretty much the same? To a degree, but very different at the same time. So the the surface is very similar, but the life that's in there is very different. So out here in California, right in the Bay Area, we're so lucky to have just a wealth of different marine life from the biggest animal in the entire world, the blue whale, down to the little plankton. So it's a really special environment to be able to study and to be able to help the animals that are out there. 
tell us like that journey as a, you know, a kid in the ocean and having this, this love for exploring. And like you were saying, like there's this whole other world out there. Like, tell us how did you take those steps? You went to college and then how did you end up at the Marine Mammal Center? I always kind of joke a little bit that everyone at the age of seven wants to like work with seals or dolphins. And maybe I just never outgrew that. But my, my passion was really around animal behavior. I was fascinated by all the animals that were, were out there and how did they communicate with each other? How did they learn? How did they navigate and remember different things? So throughout high school, college, um, some graduate work, I really wanted to focus on that sense of animal behavior. So I studied fish learning and memory. I studied bird hearing and speech and kind of realized I'm not the biggest fan of birds. So that <laughs> kind of took me, took me off of that path. And marine mammals were just always really fascinating. It's absolutely amazing to me. I can walk into a group of kindergartners. I can show a picture of a blue whale and every kid in the class can identify it. There's something just pretty magical about that. But around nine years ago, I had the opportunity to talk with some of the best biologists in the world that were studying whales and studying dolphins and seals. And I asked one of them what I thought was a really incredibly simple question. I asked, where do blue whales give birth? And they couldn't answer me. The largest animal in the entire world, 100 feet long and an endangered species, but we didn't know where they spent so many months throughout the year. So that really kind of put me into that field of marine mammals because we just don't have the answers to a lot of those questions. The more I studied the seals, the sea lions, the whales, the more I got interested in it, but the more I also saw them getting sick. So it made me switch gears a little bit. And I left the research field, kind of doing the lab work and the field work, went more into conservation education. And that's why I love the Marine Mammal Center. Not only are we able to save animals that are sick and hurt, but we're learning from each one. I have 100,000 people that walk through our front doors every single year that we have the opportunity to share those stories and build a community of support around. Oh, that's, that's so fantastic. I, I think it's always incredible when we look back in our own lives and, you know, the, the questions that we ask and how those are pivot points that often shape the rest of our lives. And in your case, definitely your career and, and what you're doing right now. So about, gosh, two years ago, I was able to go visit the Marine Mammal Center, and I had my then 10-month-old son, Ollie, and he'll be four in January. And it was so fascinating to go there and just to learn all the great things that the Marine Mammal Center is doing. Can you give our readers a little bit more insight about what the Marine Mammal Center is, and then maybe talk a little bit about like the journey that a marine mammal would take, like when they come into your custody and kind of what does that look like? The Marine Mammal Center is the world's largest marine mammal hospital and education facility. So what's going to happen is we're going to rescue any sick or hurt seal, sea lion, otter, dolphin from over 600 miles of California coast. We'll bring them to our headquarters in Sausalito where we can give them a second chance at life. Any test you can get at a human hospital we can do for them here. We've got an amazing community of support, over 1,200 volunteers, donations from the community. And the day the animal feels better is the day it's going to get released with a second chance at life back out in the ocean. 
And throughout that process, guests have the opportunity to come see the work taking place in action, find out more about why the animals are getting sick, figure out how we can get them better, and then what we can do as a community to make sure they stay safe back out in the ocean. So for every patient, the journey is a little bit different, of course, whether it's an animal that's caught in trash and unfortunately found on a beach. Maybe it's a young pup that's been separated from its mom because people or dogs got too close to the pair. Each story is its own opportunity where we're able to help that animal, but also hopefully be able to take action to prevent it from ever happening again. So I know there's a lot of education that, that you're a part of. And I, I think one of the, the first things it would seem to me is really that education around, like, what should I do if I see a stranded marine animal? Like, they're cute, but we don't want to go run over and, like, give them a hug because they really aren't stuffed animals, right? <laughs> you're, you're exactly right. They, they have this sense around them where they do look cute. They draw people's attention. But these are top predators. They are wild animals, and they, they need support out there. So for anyone who sees an animal out on the beach, whether they think it's sick or whether they think it's healthy, key thing is to give them distance at least 50 feet away just for the animal's protection, but also for their own. Since they, they do tend to bite, they have the sharp teeth and they can be stressed and scared. If they think something's wrong, Marine Mammal Center has a 24-hour hotline that you can call 415-289-SEAL. We'll be able to talk through over the phone, what are you looking at? Where are you? And if the animal does seem to be in need of assessment or rescue, we'll dispatch any number of those volunteers out to the beach, look at that animal and decide whether or not it needs to come to the hospital for care. But first step always starts with people and it's how we find out about 600 to 800 animals a year. And and I think that's really important as, you know, being a tourist and learning what those best practices are, because I think a lot of the time people have really good intentions, but they, they aren't familiar with an environment or they aren't familiar with um, a, a species. We, we saw that happen up at Yellowstone um, last winter when a tourist uh, took a baby bison and put it in their car because they, they thought it looked cold. And that's not what, you know, we're wanting to do. So definitely wanting to educate around that. And I, I like what you're saying about, you know, making sure the animal is, is not feeling stressed. So the last thing we want to do is, is have a big crowd of people around. So, you know, get, getting the right people involved. So you guys get the call and then you, you send out people that um, are volunteers. I, I can't remember how many volunteers you guys have at the Marine Mammal Center. We have just over 1,200 volunteers, and they do everything for us. So they're out on the rescues. They help with the releases, the basic medical procedures and feedings on site, the education work. They, they do it all. They start at 15 years old. They go up to 97. So walk us through the steps when a marine mammal, like, and of course, you know, it's, it's going to be different for, you know, the different species, but also just kind of like, what, what does it typically look like? I'll give you an example of a story of a patient I helped take care of earlier this year. So we got a phone call from a person out on the beach down in the Monterey area. And we stretched for around 600 miles. So from Mendocino County down to San, San Luis Obispo. We heard that this animal looked very skinny, very young out on the beach. We got out there and it turns out that it was a baby harbor seal, only a couple of days old, having been separated from mom. 
And unfortunately, sometimes we see those good intention people, they want to help and they get close to this animal that's kind of crying. But mom might just be out in the water a few feet away and can be scared away or dogs off leash. So when we got out there, we realized this animal was incredibly young, still had the umbilical cord attached. So less than seven days old. Oh, wow. Mom was gone. So this is an animal that's going to need our help. So we rescued the animal, brought it up from Monterey to the hospital in Sausalito. And the first step is the same thing that happens when you go to a doctor's office. You're going to get one of those admit exams. So we're going to look at the eyes, the ears, the heart, the lungs, figure out what's going on with this animal. We can take blood from it to see if there's a disease as well. Luckily for that animal, there was nothing medically wrong. The animal was just simply malnourished since it had been separated from mom and it didn't have its mom to really help it through that first month of life. So that's where our volunteers and our veterinarians really stepped in. So we were able to provide a formula to the animal. We did something called tube feeding. We were able to pump the formula directly into the animal since it's too weak to eat on its own. The animal then went to what we call fish school, where we had to teach it how to eat fish. And then after around two and a half months, the animal was up to weight. It was swimming and eating on its own. It was eating well with all the other animals. Animal had that clean bill of health was signed off for release and released back out to the wild with that second chance at life. That's fantastic. That That's such a great story too. Because that's ultimately what the goal is, right? Is is to get them back into their natural habitat. 100%. No one wants to be at a hospital longer than they have to. So the day the animal feels better, we get them back out to the ocean. And we've done that with around 320 animals so far this year. Oh, that's fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Now, I know there aren't as many patients at the Marine Mammal Center right now, but in the springtime, you really see this huge influx of patients. Tell us about that and tell us kind of how you even managed to feed all of those patients because, yeah, that's got to be a lot of fish, right? Without a doubt, every day is its own adventure at the Marine Mammal Center. So our patients are going to vary throughout the year. It just depends on what's happening out in the ocean. What are the animals doing naturally? Is it birthing season? Is it a time when they're migrating away from the coast? So right now at the hospital, we've got around 20 animals that we're taking care of. Back in April of this past year, we had over 200 on site at one time. And the springtime is normally the time that we see more elephant seal pups and harbor seal pups. What happens is they're born out on the beaches for the elephant seals, typically January, February, March, the harbor seals around March, April, May. And the pups are just more vulnerable. So they can be separated by big storms washing them out or by people or dogs getting too close and scaring the mom away. So we had over 100 elephant seals at the hospital at just one point in time, all of them getting that formula, all of them being brought through fish school. So it is really a testament to the community of support that we have. The volunteers are out on the beaches rescuing three to five animals a day. At some points in time, the volunteers that are committing 12 to 16 hours on site to give them the food we go through around 1,000 pounds of sustainably caught herring each day during our busy season. So a huge commitment financially as well. So we're really fortunate to have donors, supporters, visitors. They're helping us pay for that food and medicine for the animal. Around a dollar a pound for that sustainably caught seafood. And remind me, Adam, 
Isn't it like 80% of the Marine Mammal Center is, is funded by donors like our listeners that, you know, our moms and dads and, and, and kids that are saving up their pennies to, to help pay for fish and to help pay for care, right? Absolutely. Around 80 to 85% of our budget comes from people like you, me, and, and all the listeners, people that are passionate about wildlife. They want to help give these animals a second chance. And every dollar really goes to buy that food and medicine that the animals need. So in the case of, for example, a sea otter that we had at the hospital the last couple months uh, released just yesterday, Actually, sea otters are incredibly resource intensive. If you're familiar with the diet of sea otters, they like all of the really fancy shellfish, basically. They love the things like crab and urchin and shrimp. And it's around $40 a day worth of food for those animals. And the only way we're able to give those sea otters and all of our other seals and sea lions the food they need is the generous support of the community in California and around the world. And I was on your site earlier and found this great adoption kit that <laughs> it really comes with like this this cute adoption certificate and a plush little stuffed animal. I know in our own family, we're trying to get away from all the stuff and the things. And I think creating not only like an educational opportunity, but really this chance to to be this force for good and to do something and make a difference I think is is such a great gift to give, especially as we're kind of moving into this holiday season. 100%. So our Adopt-A-Seal program is a symbolic adoption that you can have for yourself or give to someone as a gift where you're able to get the certificate that really tells you the story of a patient that's gotten that second chance at life. You can do it either by itself or you can do it as part of that larger package that you're mentioning and have the plush, have a children's book that goes with it and how much stuff you would like. But a great way that every dollar from that is what's going to give the animals that are currently at the hospital the same second chance as the animal that you have the certificate for. And I also liked, I think there was like a digital option. So if it was, you know, maybe like a last minute gift or, or something that you're just wanting to do, um, you know, for a friend or a grandchild, that that it is a lot quicker um, turnaround than like waiting for something to ship. Yeah, there are a variety of opportunities depending on what, what fits the audience and what type of gift you'd like to give. So definitely something as the holiday season approaches, I recommend checking out our website, marinemammalcenter.org. You'll be able to see all of the different patients that are up for adoption and those different opportunities. And that's around the Home for the Holidays kind of campaign and, and wanting to get these these animals back to their natural habitats. Exactly. Everyone wants to be home for the holidays. So we're, we're working to get all of our patients that are here at the hospital back out to the wild and then also taking some time to celebrate the amazing stories of the patients and the people that have been here for the last year that we've been able to, to get healthy and back out there. So you'll see lots of those wonderful stories up on our website or through our e-newsletter that people can sign up for for free through our website. And, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking, oh, man, this would be great to integrate into like uh, homeschooling curriculum. Or if you have a scout troop, a Girl Scout troop or a Boy Scout troop, that could be a really fun thing to do as, as some kind of a project. Now, you mentioned a little bit about the sea otters. Now, from what I understand, just recently, you guys have been granted the special permit to rehabilitate the southern sea otters. Tell us about that. That's really exciting. 
So historically, we've been able to take care of sea otters. We've been rescuing them since basically we started over 40 years ago. As we've done construction on site to be able to build capacity and really make sure that we're providing the best possible care to all of the marine mammals across the California range, we've recently been able to kind of retrofit and rebuild a couple of pens to really expand the opportunities in California for the southern sea otter. Unfortunately, they are a threatened species. Their population is just a little bit over 3,000. So this is an animal that needs a lot of help. And we've been really fortunate to be able to partner with wonderful organizations like Monterey Bay Aquarium and U.S. Fish and Wildlife. And over the last month, we've actually been able to release two sea otters back out to the wild with a second chance at life. And along the process, we've been able to learn a lot about the kind of dangers and challenges that the otters face, whether it's something like domoic acid toxicosis, which is a harmful algae that we see out in the ecosystem, or parasites like toxoplasmosis. This is like in conjunction with like the Department of Fish and Wildlife, and, and you mentioned the Monterey Bay Aquarium. Like, I, I love that everybody is, is working together instead of kind of just working in a vacuum. It's one of my favorite things. It's that we're not isolated here. Everyone's connected to the ocean in some way. And whether it's people in California or even people in Colorado or Indiana or the East Coast, we all depend on a healthy ocean. And we know that the challenges we see here are things that are happening around the globe. So the more we can work together, build capacity, build that education effort, the more people and animals get to stay safe for future generations. Now, you mentioned one thing, retrofitting the pens. Now, (laughs) (laughs) somebody mentioned that they are like the raccoons of the sea. Like they're kind of like sneaky. And yeah, talk to us about that. So the sea otters are closely related to the weasel and the ferret family. So they are okay. a little wily, okay. to say the least. Um, they're they're paw-footed, so they're very um, agile. They're known to be able to climb on things. They actually use tools in the wild. So they have kind of very good hand-eye coordination. They would be able to undo the screws of some of our filter systems and things like that. So we've had to kind of lock down the pens a little bit. They're encased in fiberglass. We made sure that they didn't have access to any of our filtration system. So a little bit heavier duty enclosure than what we use for some of the other animals. Make sure that they actually stay in our care while they need it. That's great. I I love um, that you guys are learning. I mean, not just how to care for them, but how to (laughs) outsmart them a little bit. (laughs) Exactly. Every animal is a little bit different. So we got to be on our toes. Well, when I was there, I got to help in the kitchen and like prepare the food Mm -hmm. and wash the dishes and kind of clean out the pens and all that. And something that was kind of surprising for me was using the Dawn dish soap to, to clean, not just like the dishes and everything, which I use at home, but that's what you're using to like scrub out their pens, right? Not as much inside the animal pens, but we do use a lot of Dawn here uh, with the dishes and all of the things coming through the the fish kitchen. We're preparing the meals. There's a lot of oil, um, particularly salmon oil that we use with our patients to help fatten them up when they're young pups. So that oil is incredibly greasy. So you see a lot of Dawn being used in particular there to help make sure that all of the equipment we're using is clean and sterilized and the healthiest. Since a lot of these animals we're working with are incredibly fragile, weakened immune systems, we want to make sure that we're the most sanitary 
and making sure we're giving the animals the best possible equipment and chance at recovery. We also use Dawn dishwashing soap as some of the historic commercials have always shown on oiled wildlife. So if we do see something like a sea otter that's been impacted by oil or northern fur seal, Dawn is one of those um, elements that can really help to give that animal the best chance. I've been an ambassador with Dawn for the last two years, and I really love learning about it and and learning kind of the, the history, how it even got started using the Dawn dish soap back, and I'm probably going to get the date wrong, but it was the San Francisco when the, the oil tanker. Yeah, the Costco Busan oil spill. Can you share a little bit more about that and what, what happened, kind of what was going on with the animals and... Yeah, so it does predate my time in California. So I might not be necessarily the best source for the Costco Busan oil spill, but it was a pretty massive oil spill that was in San Francisco Bay. We know that oil can have negative impacts on a wide variety of animals. Luckily for California sea lions, for harbor seals, they're not as impacted, luckily enough, Um, Animals such as birds that depend on those feathers to really be able to fly and thermoregulate, sea otters that need that fur to stay warm are much more impacted. So we know that a lot of birds suffered. We um, are part of what we call the Oiled Wildlife Care Network. So a massive collaborative of lots of organizations that will respond to something like an oil spill, whether it's Costco Busan in the Bay close to 20 years ago, or something more recently, like the Santa Barbara oil spill that happened in 2015. We've got volunteers, trained staff that are willing to to get out there and help. And we actually have space at our hospital in Sausalito for oiled wildlife care that we're opening up to organizations in the case of an oil spill so that they have a facility to use so that we make sure every animal is protected. Adam is going to share what we can do to be stewards of the ocean, even if we don't live close to one, when we return. Be sure that you check out our latest blog post over on GoAdventureMom.com by Gentry King. She is one of our newest team members, and she's written a fantastic article about hiking with kids, really the difference that a year makes from age one to age two. So be sure to check that out at GoAdventureMom.com. We are back on the Go Adventure Mom podcast, and our guest today is Adam. He's with the Marine Mammal Center, and he's talking about how Don saves wildlife, and he's going to share how we can be ocean stewards, even if we don't live by the ocean. So no matter where you are, we can take actions that create a healthier ocean, not just for marine mammals, but also for people. So one of the things that we see, unfortunately, impacting our animals a lot is plastic pollution. That plastic just never goes away. It's a pretty amazing invention when you think about it. But every time we use single-use plastics, we're just creating more stuff that can get out to the ocean. So no matter where you live, trying to think about ways we can reduce that plastic use, something like saying no to plastic drinking straws when you're out at restaurants or fast food places, one of the most common pieces of trash out on the beach, and even moving beyond just that individual action, but talking with businesses and talking with restaurants so that we can share the issue of plastic straws and maybe have the restaurants not put plastic straws in drinks and that make it kind of the default. In addition to the plastic pollution, which we can do every time we go to the store, every time we do something in our own lives, 
I think also just some of the actions we take around the food we eat is really important. And this is something that can impact the oceans regardless of where you're coming from. We're a partner here at the Marine Mammal Center with the Monterey Bay Aquarium, a program called Seafood Watch. And there's a free app for any smartphone that you can download that allows you to see what are the best choices and what are the things to avoid when buying seafood. This way, we take action at restaurants and supermarkets to really support the sustainable fisheries and make sure that there's plenty of fish out there for future generations and for all of the marine mammals as well. That's a program I use, and you'll find it internationally at this point that allows you, without being a marine biologist, to make sure that we're buying fish that's caught in a good way for the oceans. That's that's great advice. And we'll include a link to that app in the show notes so people can check that out. Well, thank you so much for being a guest today, Adam. Just really appreciate learning from you. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you so much for helping us spread the story of the Marine Mammal Center. And hopefully people can check out our website and learn more about ways they can get involved. Thanks, you guys, for joining us. We hope that you enjoyed this podcast as much as we enjoyed putting it together for you. Definitely um, thankful for you and for the time that you spend listening to us. And we just hope that you can have a great week and do some wonderful things. We are doing a Facebook Live every Tuesday. Check that out over on the Facebook page. It's Facebook forward slash Go Adventure Mom. And we usually have some pretty sweet giveaways that we're doing. Make it a great week. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Go Adventure Mom podcast. For more family adventure, visit GoAdventureMom.com. Plus, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends.